introduce you to the man of the hour, Mr. Jason Stewart, living epic. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> so help me with this because fighting real estate and cars generally don't go together. Why? What's the connection point with those hmm. three? Interesting. Um, well, you know, I started as a fitness trainer. That was like my passion since I was a kid. I want to be physically fit and I want to help other people be physically fit. Yeah. And uh, I was training people. And a lot of times people would ask me the question, like, you're, you're so talented. You got so many skills and, and, and charisma. What's next? And I'm like, why does there have to be something next? I love what I do. And people, I guess, were just expecting me to make more money. I'm like, I broke all the records here. You know, I still have the record for the most fitness training sales ever at a month at the Bally's I worked at. Um, I bought my first two houses as a fitness trainer. I bought a house at 21 and another house at 24. And uh, I'm like, to me, I'm killing it. But to my clients who I was training who Mm. could afford to pay me to train them, they were just like, Oh, you could do something where you make even more money. And today that could still be training because it's way more scalable than it used to be with this technology. You yeah. could you could make a million dollars a year training, no problem. Um, but back then you couldn't. You could only train one person at a time. You what know? year is this? This is uh, 2000, 2000, 2001, I think, is when I first started training. So, so the like, internet is, I mean, still early, early on. I mean, yeah. you're not, you don't have the apps. We don't have the iPhone no, at that time. No, apps didn't exist. No. iPhones didn't exist. And so um, a lot of my clients did some stuff in real estate. Some did loans, some invested, some were realtors, some were title reps. Um, I had an escrow officer, you know, Mm -hmm. and they would all tell me I'd be good in real estate. And to me, real estate just like I knew I wanted to invest in houses someday, but why would I want to work in real estate? That sounds boring. I mean, obviously I knew the value because I had already bought my first house. And then um, shortly after my second but they were like, uh, all the skills that make you a great fitness trainer, which isn't about being in the best shape in the gym, right? That's very little to do with it. We had guys that look like Adonis's that never sold a single fitness training package. What's the package. difference there? The difference is, uh, I remember when I, was, when I was training at a 24-hour fitness tra- I worked at 24-hour fitness before Bally's, and the guy was like, I'm not the most fit guy. He had a couple layers of body fat in him. He was okay. he was in shape, but yeah. he had a couple layers of body fat. He didn't look like some of the guys. He's like, I'll sell more training than any of them because of this. And he smiled. Wow. He's like, when I walk in and make eye contact and smile, that person feels more comfortable training with me than the buff guy who walks in. And I was the buff guy that walked in at first. And with the mean, everyone told me I looked mean, right? Okay. But what I wasn't afraid to do was to walk up to someone and be like, can I show you something? And then show them how I train them versus how they train themselves. Let them know that there's stuff that I could teach them. Wow them with my knowledge because I was always studying the stuff since I was a kid. My senior project was literally on fitness training. So I was the guy with the, with the, with the knowledge bank. I just had to do a first workout, we call it. Show yeah. them around the gym. Show them how to do exercises that they've never done. And, and unleash some of this knowledge. And then they would typically want to buy a training package with me. The other thing that I paid attention to that a lot of people didn't and a lot of people have a negative connotation towards is sales. But sales is just persuading people to do something that they need to do, not what you want them to do. Mm. I'm not trying to influence them to do what I want to do. I'm trying to get them to do what they need to do, right? They want to come in here and get their bench press up. What they really need is to fix their posture loosen up their hip flexors, get their shoulders to come back so they don't, they're not putting so much stress on their neck, get their body fat down, get their 
inside of their body healthy. So uh-huh. I'm getting them on the, the right type of diet, nutrients, supplements, stuff like that. But all the guy cares about is how much can I bench, right? <laughs> so when they get with me, they start getting healthier. Yeah. Their body starts looking better. They're getting more compliments because if you do bench all day, what happens? This. Mm. If, I, if you do a little bit back, do a little bit of posture work, a little bit of core, now they look like this. Chest didn't grow, but their chest looks better. Right. Do you find this in life too? Because what you just said, what you just talked about, like in the gym, a lot of times people are thinking, I need to get my bench press up. Oh, I need to get my finances up. But you're talking about like the holistic aspect of it. Do you look at it in business that way too? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been doing real estate for over 20 years. Uh, I bought my first house at 21. I'm 44. I, uh, Hold on. You're 40. What kind of water you drink, man? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I drink water with uh, minerals in it. Okay. And it's, it's been a Is it a Jason changer. Stewart water, too? I Is should. it an epic water? I should. You so, should just have a picture of, like, me and then before and then a picture of you after. And be you know, like, people, with epic people water. get us confused when we go to Secret I'm Knock. So I'm like, I've never, had, I've never had <laughs> This is an unequal relationship, though, because when someone says, oh, my gosh, are you Kelly? You're like, damn, really? I need to go to the gym. When they say, are you Jason? I'm like, yes, I am. I must be looking jacked today. Funny, this dude. is good friendship. That's what that's what that's how it happens. What about opening like opening the mind when a person comes to you at first? A lot of times, you know, say in the service business, right? Mm-hmm you're around people who can afford your service. Then they start to talk to you about that. What stopped you from being almost offended in when they were saying you could just do something better? Uh, you know, cause a lot of people would get offended and be like, yo, I'm doing something good. Leave me alone. Yeah, I did. I, 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 I kind of did get offended because a lot of people, like, even, even my fellow colleagues, fellow trainers would be like, you know, what do you, what is, what's the goal? And I'd be like, I'm living my dream. Like I've always wanted to be, this is my career. Right. <laughs> Um, and so everyone said I would be good in real estate. And I remember the first person that the, actually the first two people I helped the first seller and the first buyer, yeah. um, the first seller was my dad. Yeah. And I told my dad, I'm in real estate. If you ever know anyone that wants to sell their house, let me know. Like, I'm not, I'm not just some, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fully invested. Like, you know me, I'm the type. How old are you at this time? I'm uh, 24 years old. 24 years old person comes to you and be like, yo, yeah. let me, if you need anything, I'm probably passing on a 24 year old. Right, right, right. So I always seemed a lot older than I was. Okay. Um, partially because of my look, you know, I had a little more muscle. I had a little more build. It makes okay. you look a little older. Um, and, and also just the knowledge. I was the type to go all in. So when mm. it came to fitness training, every trainer in the gym, no matter which gym I was at, where I worked, they would come to me to ask questions. What, what's the electrolytes in this Powerade? What's the, you know, whatever it is, I was like the guy with the answers because I would, I'm kind of an extremist. So yeah. I get hyper fixated. So similar with real estate. I was memorizing the whole purchase and listing agreement. <laughs> had one by my toilet every time I sat down, boo, boo, boo. And then I go to a you're listing reading, presentation. You're reading the... I'm reading the shit that nobody reads. You're reading it on the toilet. On the toilet. I have a listing agreement and a buyer's agreement. And I would like... Like, that's how extremist my, my brain works. Like... <laughs> I'm going to be the absolute best at this. We would have a contest for the most expired listings. Okay. Like listings that expired so you can get the most. I won the contest for the whole office. We had like 200 agents in the office or yeah. something. It's my first year in real estate, right? Um, and so I go to my dad and he's like, yeah, I would sell, but the problem is capital gains tax and this and that. And I, I lit up and I was like, oh, I know this one. He doesn't know that. He's an attorney. He doesn't know this. Okay, here we go. My time to shine. It's like, Dad, actually, um, if you've lived in a home two out of the last five years, which you have, you've lived in this home since you bought it, uh, 
you pay no capital gains tax. He's like, what are you talking about? Everybody pays taxes, son. You good. America is known for taxing people. That's what it's known for. You get, you, you, nobody gets free money around here. I was like, no, 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 dad. This is where the rich get richer and the poor don't because the rich buy things like real estate. You get 250000 up to 250000 as a single man and up to 500000 as a married man tax-free. Any, any equity you have, you get to keep it up to that. And then only after that, which he wasn't above that, Will you get taxed? And even then, you can write off most of that to where you can reduce or completely negate all the taxes. And no, no, no. And he looked into it, and I sent him some literature on it. And he was like, well, help me sell my house, son. I sold his house. Bam, he put a bunch of money in the bank. He never had that much money in his life. And so now I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. He's telling the whole family, yeah, Jay got me a couple hundred thousand. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the one of my next, uh, might have been my very next, was this guy who I was his fitness trainer. And he was this guy that was just had great genetics. He was older, but he was just strong. He was a mailman. Well, he was older to me at that time. He was yeah. probably maybe younger than I am now. But he was just strong and like, you know, he couldn't jump rope at all. But I was like, no, no, no. And then we, I got him jump rope. So I was just like making all these strides. I was like, with that type of genetics, you're a physical specimen. You're not too old. All these limiting beliefs that people have, like you are not too old. You're stronger than my 20 year old clients, you know? And, um, then I started learning about real estate. I was still, I was still training people and he was from a place in the South and he never met a black man that owned a, a property in his life. It didn't happen in his neighborhood, you know, where he grew up. He's a black dude, male man, you know, he's like, yeah, it must be nice. You know, I'm all telling him about different people who've bought homes and this and that. And he's like, yeah, that, that would be, that'd be nice, you know. I'm like, no, mailman is a good job. It's a secure job. You've been there a long time. You make enough money. You're paying rent. The mortgage is not going to be more than what you pay in rent. He's like, yeah, but then the down payment is going to be too much. I'm like, no, dude, you could do, you know, 3.5% down. You, and he's like, oh, I got that. So I helped him buy his first home, and I remember he was like, you got to pinch me, Jay. You got to pinch me. This wasn't even <laughs> this wasn't even something I thought would ever happen in my lifetime. Yeah. And there he is as a, as a homeowner. And so my biggest resistance to going into real estate, because everyone told me you make more money. And to me, I'm like, I love what I do, changing people's lives through fitness mm -hmm. training. And so I'm really scared to make that leap because to me, Money's important, but fulfillment was just one notch above it, right? Maybe two. Yeah. And when Maybe I, three sometimes. <laughs> and when I got that feeling of helping my dad, because oh. he would have never known that he could sell his house and keep that money, helping this guy become a homeowner yeah. uh, that never thought he could, I was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. It's a wrap. Like, this felt good. This felt just as good as the chubby guy who was chubby since a kid taking his shirt off for the first time because he feels confident. It felt just as good. And so then I was all in real estate. I've been doing real estate ever since. Let's go back, uh, too, to the limiting beliefs part because most people can't get over this part, mm -hmm. right? So they have a – maybe they grow up a certain way. You had the guy, the mailman, uh, yep. happens to be a black man. He had mm -hmm. never seen a black man own a home in his neighborhood. Right. How – did you get over limiting beliefs? Not the theory of what you know now, but I'm talking like Jason is a kid. I, I just asked, uh, we were talking before we started recording, and I was like, hey, uh, what's your background, nationality? You named off the United Nations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my mom's just a mix of whites, Irish, German, Scottish, Dutch. Um, this is like all the whites and uh, <laughs> English. And then my, um, my, dad, uh, my dad grew up, we grew up, I grew up where my dad grew up. Yeah. 
Uh, we grew up in a place where you were black, white, or mixed. And so okay. my dad was just black. But the reality is uh, my dad's mom was Filipino. So when it comes to nationalities, I'm actually more Filipino than anything because I'm a full 25% Filipino. Okay. Um, but if you ever meet people who are half Filipino, half black, they almost always look black. Foxy Brown, you know, <laughs> like yeah, they yeah, always yeah. look yeah. like dark skin, you know. Uh -huh. Uh, and so he also had some Cherokee blood in him. Okay. And so black, white, Filipino, and Cherokee Indian is, is my makeup. So a lot of times when it, when you come in that, that in that realm, um, have a lot of different nationality, sometimes it's hard to connect with one side, the other. I've had friends who are mixed and they, uh, they had friends that, uh, on the black side said, I'm not black enough, mm. I'm not white enough. Um, or, and sometimes that created limiting beliefs for them. How were you, like, where did this, you know, epic kind of thought process, because you do, like, we were just talking before we started recording too, and you, I said, hey, pass the potatoes, and you said, oh, I'm going to buy an island. Um, mm. that's, that's not a, <laughs> it's not a normal, you know, it's not a normal kind of thing. So who gave you permission from the very get-go for you to be able to get through those limiting beliefs? I, I think it's just... I've always thought differently, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure why I, I always thought differently. I, you know, I was raised in a very unstable environment, um, moved around a lot, uh, didn't know sometimes where my next meal was going to come from. It was very, uh, uh, you know, poverty. Mom was a drug addict. Mom was a drug dealer. Uh, didn't see my mom or dad from five to eight, you know, lived with aunts and stuff like that. Just, yeah. you know. Um, wasn't supposed to live with them, so I wasn't always welcome there. Like, we got this kid, we got to feed him. He's this, that, you know what I mean? It's just like, how do we end up with this crazy kid? I was a little bit hyper. Um, a little bit. And, yeah, and so it's interesting. Like, Tony Robbins asked this question to people whenever he's doing, like, coaching and he's delving in with someone. He's like, whose love did you crave more, your, mo your, your mother's or your father's? And everybody I've ever seen him ask that question to answer. And I've went and asked people that question and played – my Tony Robbins role with people, try to do what he does. And everybody has an answer. I'm the only person I've ever met that I don't have an answer. I, I don't feel like I really, and maybe that's because I didn't see either from five to eight. That's yeah. a very developmental stage where you can remember everything, but you're still developing. Um, but I almost feel like I didn't crave anyone's love. Like I just didn't care. Like I'm, I'm, I don't know if it was because I was in survival mode or what yeah. it was, or I, you know, had to, you know, I was forced to be in, uh, you know, be comfortable in these uncomfortable situations. You transfer schools, you know, it, you don't know anyone and you're just walking in there like, okay. And I was in those situations a lot. Like I remember I, I saw my first dead body. I think I was like three or four. I still remember it completely vividly. And, you know, my mom's managing apartments, and it's this neighbor that used to come over all the time. She kind of had this island vibe. I think she's from Jamaica, where the, the fancy, uh, the bright head thing. And my mom's boyfriend kicks the door down, and the door falls on her. I, I didn't realize she had already been dead. I don't know if it was for minutes or days. But when I saw it, because I'm right there, the door just falls on her. And when they run in, they run on top of the door. But the door's on her. They don't know right away. So I thought they killed her. I was just like, oh she was coming to answer the door and y'all <laughs> kicked it down on her and killed this poor woman. Uh, but I think she had like a heart attack or something like that. But, you know, because my mom was a drug dealer and there's very interesting characters around with all different sorts of energy and mm -hmm. different types of intentions and stuff. As a kid, I was just very alert and very aware and very like, 
you know, what happens next? I remember, you know, when I got back with my mom after from the five to eight period and I'm, you know, nine years old, it's like, all right, if we have to run, there's the escape, the windows high enough to where you could jump. And my brain was always like doing stuff like that. And so, um, but, but what's really interesting is talk about going the opposite direction. When you're in high school, what's everybody doing? If you go to a party, everybody's drinking, smoking a little weed, popping a little this or that, this little pill or whatever's in style at the time. And I was the complete opposite. I was like, I've never been, I've never smoked weed. I've never been drunk once in my life. I've uh, never tried any type of drugs. And there's lots of theories on why that is because I've always prided myself in being different because I'm a control freak because I was in unstable environments. Okay. Um, one of the blessings that my mom did was she broke down every drug to me, pros and cons. Never told me once not to do drugs. She's like, everyone at, at your school and the D.A.R.E. program is telling you weed is bad and you get high and kill somebody and that it's this, that, and the other and bad for your health. They're lying. Weed has so many medical benefits. It should be 100% legal all across the world. It's like the only thing negatives are it's really bad for your lungs because they don't have filters and it will make you lazy. I said, all right, those, those, that's enough for me to be out. I grew up in the state with the most smokers in the in the whole country, and so cigarette where smoke at? was where just are you West about? Virginia. Okay, so it. cigarette smoke was just always that's in your a face. Stat? That's a stat. That's a stat. That's the highest obesity, the highest uh, health related mortality rate, um, the youngest lifespan, uh, the highest drug epidemics. Every drug epidemic starts in West Virginia and then spreads across the other so country. Out of all and it's the poorest that, state. Out of the things that you just listed, you are not any of those. You're the Again, exact opposite. I wanted, that, that little thing of me wanting to be different, thank God I grew up there. Thank God. Oh my gosh. I mean, registering that because you just said like obesity, right? You just said obesity. I mean, yeah. if, if you get a chance and anybody out there listening, you get a chance to spend Jason, uh, time with Jason, you're going to feel bad about yourself for a while. Because, <laughs> I mean, no, no, you're going to feel amazing. You're going to see what's possible. But, man, there's times where I don't want to be your friend. Uh, I see you. And I'm like, man, those arms are possible. Those abs are possible. And, you know what I'm saying? So, it's the exact opposite. Like, it's it's going the exact opposite. Were you, con- like, at what point were you conscious of that? But tell me also, too, what was the pro when you said your mom gave you the pros and cons? What was the pro of crack? She didn't have a lot of pros of crack. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of energy. Yeah. So uh, keep your weight down. But she, she would even say like crystal meth. You could stay up for two days straight and get a whole lot done. <laughs> crack, there wasn't a lot of benefit. So crystal meth and crack, you lose your teeth. I think okay. she said you lose your teeth faster typically on, crystal, on crystal meth. Um, yeah. Um, she said heroin, best feeling you'll ever feel in your life. 10,000 times better than sex, she said. And I was like, well, no, no, no. I heard about sex. It's the best feeling in the world. She's like, yeah, that's to people who haven't done heroin. She's like, heroin feels wow. 10,000 times better the first time you do it. And you spend the rest of your life trying to get that feeling back, and it's called chasing the dragon. Oh and, like, she had me lit up with, with the heroin. <laughs> 10,000 times better than Should I just try it once? And then she said, you'll never, it'll never quite feel like that again. Okay. It'll still feel better than sex. It'll never quite feel 10,000 times better. And each time it does, it feels a little bit less, but your brain alters and you always remember that feeling. And so you could not do it for five or 10 years, but you're, you're never safe because you'll never forget that feeling. So you could always wow. relapse. And so I was like, okay, that's out. And uh, yeah, she just, she said acid. Everyone's telling you that acid makes you go insane. She's like, I did acid every day for like 
a year or two. Every single day because she was making it on the tabs. Like it was paper and she would put the liquids on and she was doing it without gloves. And so she said I would trip, depending on how much I got on my fingers, a lot or a little, every single day for like two years. She's like, it didn't make me like in an insane asylum or anything like that, you know? And so she's like, and and now we have proof that like there's all these benefits to acid, but that's like. What was the downside for that for when she talked about acid? Um, she didn't really have a, I don't remember her really saying uh, a downside other than uh, you could have a bad trip. Okay. That's what she said. She okay. said that you could have a bad trip and the bad trip um, could, could, could jack you up. She okay. said it doesn't happen to everyone, but it's, if you do it enough times, you're going to have a bad trip. Okay. And I recently met someone who did it. He was a fighter. And in the fighter interviews, he did it. He had a positive experience. He didn't trip that hard. Uh-huh. So he wanted to go like a really hard dose. Got it. And he did a hard dose and he went in a mental black hole for like three years and was like suicidal and depressed and didn't want to leave his room and lost his job and everything. And he didn't want to take prescription medication. Everyone told him he had to get on some prescription medication. And then he started learning uh, breathing techniques through this guy who was like a he was like a certified like psychologist or something like that. Yeah. But the, the guys who can give you the drugs, yeah. but told him he, he, he's one of the few that opts out of giving drugs every chance he can. And he said, started, started teaching him meditation. And then all of a sudden this guy went from an atheist. He was meditating every day. He got to where he could do, he said at first he couldn't do one minute. Then he got to five minutes to 10. He got to an hour. And the next thing you know, he'd have sessions where he would do five hours straight. And then, uh, on one of his five hours straight, he looked around and he just started seeing, he was outside and he started seeing trees and birds and it hit him. Love is the answer to all of humanity's problems. God is love. Who else could have created all this other than God? And I've been sitting here thinking that all of this is by chance and I'm living in my own world and I'm completely wrong. And he instantly like got out of his depression, started working out, started training fought for epic and it was just this crazy story i'm just sitting there like what you're blowing my mind right now like you know you know that's why i love doing the interviews because you find yeah. out stuff about these fighters other than like how good are you at jujitsu or boxing you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so how does it transfer from when you go from real estate you start having the you know you start having that feeling you see that the money could be there plus i can have the feeling mm-hmm. and i love that part because i i hadn't thought about it most of the time you're always told just chase your passion. Mm-hmm. Well, then you would have never experienced real estate because that wasn't a passion. Right. Right? So you started doing that. Does fighting come in or cars come in next? Oh, fighting. Yeah, yeah, So uh, real estate, first investment, 2001. Got my license, 2004. S- didn't start Epic until 2010. So I'm six years into real estate. Really? Yeah, and I'm reading the book by Tim Ferriss on repeat. This book is uh, like changed my, my mental paradigm in so many ways, like I'm a very big and I still am like a very big, like finish what you start. But he's like, if you started something that sucks, don't finish it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Can you, you say know? that again slowly? <laughs> say that again for everybody else. <laughs> it's good to have a habit of finishing what you start. But with what you started sucks, then you could quit. Like if you're in the middle of a movie and it's horrible and it's just like, uh, and I was like, dude, I remember, you know, the mother of my children putting a movie on at 10 o'clock and I wanted to go to bed at 10 o'clock. And I accidentally caught a glimpse of the first five minutes and I was so mentally wired because my mom taught me that, which served me very well in the most things. 
But I was so mentally wired to finish what you start that I'd stay up till midnight to finish the whole movie, whether I like the movie or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so he's like, no, 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 you don't have to finish everything you start. Uh, he was very big on, um, on uh, time management, on the 80-20 rule, Pareto's laws and Parkinson's law, which uh, they're inversions of each other. The 80-20 rule is 20% of your actions give you 80% of the results. You could apply it to everything, you know. Uh, 20% of the populations has at least 80% of the wealth. Sometimes it's 90, 10%, 10% have 90% of the wealth. Some yeah. 5% have 95% of the wealth. Uh, you can look at it in your closet. If you have 10 pairs of jeans, there's two pairs that you wear every single week, sometimes twice a week. And then there's a couple of pairs that you never wear. You know what I mean? Um, the inversion of that is uh, Parkinson's law, which says a task will swell to the amount of time you give to it. And so if you have a final tomorrow, all of a sudden you can't mess around on TikTok. You can't mess around on this. You're hyper-focused. And sometimes that, uh, oftentimes the hyper-focus creates a better product than if you lollygagged and, you know, half-focused on it for a whole week. And so creating a deadline for you to get yes. stuff done, same thing with workouts. I remember one time I went to the gym and I was like, I literally have 12 minutes to work out. What am I going to do in 12 minutes? And I said, okay, there's this cable machine open. I'm going to pull, and then I'm going to turn around, and my arms are crossed when I turn around, and I'm going to push without letting go, and then I'm going to hold on to them, and I'm going to do jump squats, push-pull squat, full-body workout. And I just did sets of that for 12 minutes, and I left completely drenched, and I was just like, this is way better than any hour workout I've ever had because <laughs> you're condensing it into an amount of time where you have no – there's no time to – talk to someone at the water fountain and sit there on your phone in between sets for five minutes. You don't have time for that. And so those are two things I learned from the book, but I was reading that book on repeat and he said, don't quit your job. Like with me in real estate, don't quit real estate, but start something that's something that you're into. You either are passionate about it or you have a lot of skills behind it, preferably both. And I'm like, what am I passionate about? That's what everyone asks. What am I passionate about? And some people have these answers. I'm passionate about helping animals, or I'm passionate about helping kids, or saving the oceans. Okay, that's something that you would write a check for. If you, if you won the lottery, you'd probably write a check for that. But is it really your passion? How much time do you spend dedicated to that? And the answer yeah. is usually little to none. none. Yeah. He said, if you really want to know what you're passionate about, follow your free time. All right, so Ooh. my free time, what was I doing? I was training my daughter at the gym. Mm -hmm. I was training uh, MMA gym. I was teaching her how to fight. So I was teaching her how to fight until she was old enough to go to an MMA gym. And then she was, you know, I was training her there. She was taking classes. I'm training her at home. I was training myself. You know, I was always into martial arts. So I'm, you know, punching, kicking, wrestling, jujitsu, whatever. What's the only sport I've ever watched? Like, I'll watch the Super Bowl at Greg Reed's house, and I find out who's in the Super Bowl when I get there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny joke. They're like, oh, yeah, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? And I'm like, I don't really follow baseball. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know who's in the playoffs in basketball. You know, I'm more of a doer than a watcher, but the only thing that I really enjoy watching is combat sports. Yeah. You know, MMA, boxing, yeah. wrestling, karate, whatever. And so, okay, MMA, that's the only sport that you'll like, all right, let's go out and watch this event. That's the only thing that you'll actually spend time doing. So I'm following my free time and – my brain is going all different sorts of directions. And I've told the story a bunch of times on how it happened, but I ended up creating this epic fighting company. 
and uh, didn't make a profit for seven years, which is why, and, you know, from a business standpoint, I probably should have cut it off at year two, right? Maybe year one. But now it, it served me in so many ways that weren't monetary, the fulfillment, the connections, the relationships, mm-hmm. uh, the other people coming up to you and saying that, like, you know, it, it changed my life, fighters, coaches, things like that. Uh, and, and it really put me on the map. Like I could have been the most successful realtor in San Diego. I'm still like a realtor. Yeah. My mom was a realtor. I got a cousin who did real estate. I was thinking of getting my life, but as like the owner of this fight promotion, it was just cooler. That's all it was. Yeah. I'm making way more money in real estate. No one cared. <laughs> You're the guy that owns Epic fighting. That's cool. Um, but now it is profitable. Yeah. Uh, still changing, you know, people's lives. It's still, you know, now it's like an event. Destiny. I guess it always kind of was. We had fighters flying from all over to fight there was for a us. Shi- there was a shift. We talked about it at Prosperity Camp, and you shared a little bit about it, where there was a shift for you when you started looking at it systematically, and mm-hmm. you looked at your sponsorships different. Yeah, so the biggest challenge, so selling tickets alone, almost impossible to make profit, right? So you have to get sponsors. And so the sponsorships were running around every show collecting checks. Back then, we were doing a show every six weeks. So it's like, all right. Like, every six weeks? Every six weeks, we had a show. So it was just like, all right, cool. I got a check from this person. Got this. And the common thing was, oh, you know what? I'm going to be out of town on that one. But count me in for the next one. But I already got all their stuff printed. They're on the backdrop. They're on the fighter shorts. Or they're on the, the canvas that costs thousands of dollars to print. They're already there. How do I cover them up? You know, it's like... Oh, okay. And then I realized the people who see the most results, who are the easiest to work with, are the people that have done it for over a year. They committed. So I said, from now on, if you want to be a sponsor, you have to commit for a year. That way, if we print everything up, we know we can use it multiple times. And what we found was very rarely did anyone want to quit after the year because we were eight, we had enough time to provide value. Sometimes we had to figure out what that value was. There's certain sponsors that are like, you can give my table away. You could take my logo off of everything. If you just connect me to these people and or send me X amount of business, I'm in, right? I do real estate. And if I could send you X amount of loans, keep me on as a sponsor. And then there's the other people that are like, my business (laughs) is doing completely fine. I could give a shit. It's just cool to see my logo and everything, bring my team and we have a good time. So they're doing it more for the experience. And then there's the people that are, you know, kind of a combination of both. But um, yeah, we have sponsors that have been on for over a decade because in a year it's, it's like having a billboard up for a day and then complaining you didn't get any business for it. You know what I mean? It's like, but in a year we can figure out, Oh, Kelly likes connections to people who can send their employees to get their hair done. So all those people are handled. And then he needs connections to like high level individuals that could be on his podcast. And we just figure out, we build a relationship with you and figure out all the ways that we could add value that a lot of times have nothing to do with the logo on all the fighter shorts. But there's also like the idea of, of the confidence in what you're providing. And I remember I, uh, I was hanging out with Greg Reed one day and he was like, you're only charging how much to do that? He's like, why are you giving them everything for that? Why are you? And then recently I, I had someone buy a VIP table. He was like, why are you only charging this much for a VIP table? He's like, and then how much is it to get on the cage? And I was like, the price that I told him, he said, that's not enough. You're not charging enough to put someone's logo on the cage. And I was like, 
Well, actually, that includes logo on the fighter shorts and the backdrop and the announcements and the social media posts. And the, and he was just like, and this is a high ticket seller, a guy who sells, yeah. you know, $10,000, $50,000 just for courses, like something really simple. And he was just like, bro, you're undervaluing. So I'm about triple what we originally charged. Yeah. But there's still people like you need to be triple where you are now. Absolutely. And so that's kind of the confidence going up. So so to answer your question, like uh, it, confidence is just a series of promises kept to yourself. And so every time I accomplish something, one thing I have to remind myself, I've read that book, Strength Finders 2.0, and I realized I'm an achiever personality. And I have ADHD, so the only reason why I got lucky enough to learn that is because it's in alphabetical order, and that was the first one. So I was at Barnes and Nobles, <laughs> and I opened the very first one, and I'm reading myself to a T. And it says, like, achievers, by the time you get close to achieving your goal, uh-huh. you're not even thinking of celebrating. You're thinking of the next goal. And so by the time you achieve it, everybody else is like, you should be celebrating, or if they were part of the journey... They want to celebrate. If we do an epic fighting event, everyone wanted to celebrate. I would look around pissed off. Like, why are you guys having drinks and relaxing? Now's the time. Strike while the iron's hot. We should be promoting the next event. And so I had to learn, like, no, celebrate with yourself. Celebrate with your people. Commend everybody for doing a good job. And um, I remember explaining it to my baby's mom, that achiever personality. And she's like, that sounds horrible. Like, you live like that? That's how your brain works? (laughs) Oh, but it's helped me achieve enough to where I've kind of built my confidence because I'm keeping promises to myself. Yeah. I work out in the morning. And the trick to that is just set smaller, you know, make smaller promises. So you're going to work out for 12 minutes. And if you happen to get 30 that day, you're doubling your goal. You know, say you're going to meditate for five minutes. And if you, you know what, click another five. All right, cool. You doubled your goal. And so, Instead of saying, I want to work out for an hour, I want to meditate for an hour, and then you don't get to it at all, and then it's like, uh, you're mentally, subconsciously, is a little check down versus check up. What are the parallels? I, I had the, the thought process and had a conversation a couple of times about this. Uh, we were, I was just talking with my brother, but the parallels between the principles of a drug dealer and the principles of a successful business person. Mm, that's interesting. My mom told me once, <clears throat> she's like, I've been arrested a few times. I remember seeing my mom get arrested. Uh-huh. I remember I was in a, I was in a uh, orphanage and then ended up living at some people's house. Like, you don't get adopted, but you go from uh, the orphanage where there's just like a like an office space with beds, you know, uh-huh. and then someone, then you're like, someone's taking care of you at their house. <clears throat> and that was just because my mom went to jail and didn't make bail or whatever. And she was gone for like a while. Uh, but she got found innocent. And she would say, I've done so much shit. And I only get arrested for shit I didn't do. <laughs> so she's like, every time she got arrested, she got off. So she never had to spend time in jail. She just got arrested. Like they knew she was doing shit. Yeah. But they could never, you know, they would arrest her for something else. And she'd be like, ah, oh, no, you, see, I, you thought I was zigged, but I zagged type of thing. And so, um, you know, some of, some of the stuff that, that my mother taught me has been pretty transformational and, and helped me a lot. A lot of it was what not to do, but she read a lot. She read every day. She read about a book a day. Like she would have these big old thick books. And I'm like, how could you read that? And she would get through one and, you know, depending how thick it was one to three days. 
and always absorbing a lot of information. And so... Um, what about the principles as far as like, say, if you take a drug dealer on this side, okay? So mm -hmm. number one, um, you've got to have, you've got to be able to source the supply for less than what you're going to sell it for. Yeah, yeah. Principle that... It's basic economics, estate, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to make sure that your product is not, it doesn't have to be superior, but it's going to have to be a, at a level where a person would mm -hmm. want it again. Yep. You want to be able to create a need for you to be able to fill. This all mm -hmm. sounds like internet marketing or any business one-on-one. Yeah. Um, you know, having um, um, drug dealers have the tendency to have a, a look that everyone wants to be able to be a part of so they can <laughs> make people want to be a part of their business. Mm. So you think about a person living in a certain neighborhood, driving a certain car. I'm a doctor. Wow, as a young kid, I want to be a doctor because I saw that. Mm -hmm. What other principles? Because when you look at you, you used all the exact same principles, but you just used them in a different way. Mm -hmm. Are there things that you're conscious of that, uh, that in that way? Um, I mean, the drug game was interesting because, you know, like my friend Don Brooks said, there's too many legal hustles, too many legal hustles to go, to go that route. Um, and what I saw, my mom was arguably the most successful drug dealer that I'd ever heard of. And some of her, some of her downfalls were she was an addict too. And so when she relapsed, you know, it's hard to make any business work, but when you are, you know, hooked on heroin. Right. Um, but when I say she's the most successful drug dealer, I know um, it's cause she didn't spend time in jail. She did get shot, but she didn't die. And so she, she lived till 54 when she was supposed to die at 40 um, <clears throat> she, and she didn't spend jail time and she, you know, paid the bills with it. And, you know, it, it was feast or famine. Like we, we weren't, uh, but the reason I say that is like, you look at a lot of these guys that made millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, but they all died like really young. They all got shot. Uh, their quality of life was, was pretty low. Right. And so overall, like her, you know, her quality of life was decent. You know, mm -hmm. she didn't have to spend a whole lot of time in a jail cell. She got shot uh, when I was uh, like five, but and she was in the hospital for like three years. That's when they found out she had AIDS. Um, but she got out, like she made it out, and then she continued to sell drugs and never got caught. And so, um, and my mom is not someone that uh, I look at as the epitome of success. So when I look at all the other drug dealers who all got shot early, murdered early, uh, overdosed or whatever. And my mom's the most successful one. And then all the drug dealers that we, you know, look up to the Scarfaces and then the, you know, the Noriegas and the Escobars and they all died really young. It's like, okay, my mom, you could argue is the most successful one. And that's not the epitome of success yeah. for me. And so the allure wasn't there. Mm -hmm. It was like, if you're going to try to do that long term, you're destined to, to die or, or go to jail. Yeah. And so it was, you know, a pretty easy decision to aspire to do other things. You know what I mean? It blows me away, too, because most of the things, like if you were to look from the outside, right? So if a person just came surface-wise, I've been very fortunate because I got to be around you, not only from seeing Jason, this, you know, guy driving up in the McLaren and being an epic fighting and you being the the Dana White, if you want, <laughs> if you, if, you know, walking around and everyone being, Jason, 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 and then seeing multiple cars or seeing the flash, I get a chance to be able to be around a guy who I get to know his heart, right? 
But you've taken those things that a lot of people are like the flashy, hey, this, but you took them and created wealth for your family because of those things. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So yeah. when a person, generally when a person has a Lambo or a Ferrari or a mm-hmm. Maybach, they're like, oh, I'm flexing. Yeah. You did this car thing a completely different way than I've ever seen it. Can you? Can you? Yeah, so the ultimate goal would be to like, every time you spend a dollar, you get at least that dollar back, preferably two, right? And so the way Where'd I looked- Where did you learn that? Um, it was just basic marketing. It was like okay. when I was in, everybody tries to sell you stuff when you're in real estate because everybody knows you're getting these big checks. And when you, gotta, <laughs> when you get a $10,000, $20,000 check, what's $500 for this system that's going to bring you more money? And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. What I found worked the best is just reminding the people that I already know, that already love me, trust me, feel I'm competent in, in the real estate game, um, just reminding them that I'm in the real estate game, just becoming the Coca-Cola. Like, hey, by the way, look at this house I just sold for these people. They're really happy. Look at this family that I helped by the house. They're really happy. Just getting in front of it with a mailer or an email or a text or and, and calling them. You know, the Ford conversation. How's your family? How's your occupation? How's your recreation? You know, basketball, whatever. How's your dreams? You know, what's your, are you still looking to buy the island? Are you still looking for the waterfall property in Costa Rica? Are you still trying to get a castle? For some people, it's something as simple as, uh, for my mom, her biggest dream was for me to graduate high school. She can get me across that line, which to me, I'm like, doesn't everybody do that? Aren't you supposed to do that? But for her, A, she wasn't supposed to live that long. And I had a lot of friends that died as teenagers before they made it to high school. And statistically, she thought there's a good chance I could be one of them. And so when I was graduating high school, and there's another story that I could tell you that's, you know, pretty, pretty intense, pretty heartfelt. Yeah. But she was bawling at my graduation. Like every other parent was like, oh, yeah, congratulations, take a picture. She was like uncontrollably weeping because she thought she would never see that day, you know. And so, um, and so different people have different dreams. So me just calling real estate and having my real estate clients and people I really not even clients, just people that I went to high school with people that I met here or there, I would just get all their information. I would just keep up with them. How's the family, those types of conversations. And so whenever it was time for them to send a referral or sell a house or buy a house, I was, I was top of mind. Um, and so that was really the secret to my success. But anytime that I wanted to spend money on something, mentally I'd be like, I have to get $2 back. And so if I got a $3,000 Lamborghini payment, how do I cover at least this $3,000, preferably get $6,000 back? And the answer was maybe someone wants to do a photo shoot with it. So maybe somebody wants to rent it for a day, you know. And then I started realizing that, oh, the conversations I have when I go to get my smoothie and do work at the parakeet cafe are uh, way different. And the people I meet are way different when I show up in the Lamborghini. Cause I was just you know riding my skateboard there. And I was like, okay, every now and then let me take the McLaren over there. Let me take the Maybach over there. And then, Oh wow. What kind of car is that? Or, Oh, what do you do for a living? And then you meet really interesting people. A lot of times you meet people who are car enthusiasts and are rich and have cars themselves. And they're like, okay, finally someone who can relate to me. Wow. You know? And so there's all of those types of values. Now I'm an extremist, so I bought 10 exotic cars in one year. (laughs) I was literally. (laughs) In one year. Yeah. Okay, what's the first one? I put a lot of money in the cars. What's the first one? Okay, so I already had a um, Escalade. Got it. 
Put that on Turo. That's where the, the lights lit up. Okay. And uh, Turo, explain that for a person who doesn't Turo know Turo is like Airbnb for yeah. cars. Okay. You can rent it. Got it. Um, the first person who started renting the Lambo, he dropped, I want to say like 60 grand in like six weeks. So he just rents the Lambo. He's just renting it. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's amazing because this was a thing, a paradigm shift for me because, again, if you saw Jason, like if, if you get a chance to meet him, um, great looking dude, in shape, there's flash around. But once you get closer to you, you understand the depth, right? You understand mm-hmm. the depth of you and the, and the heart of you that it's not, you're just not some shiny suit wearing dude that's trying to have a Lambo so he could flex and ha- be able to talk to the No, I, ra- I rarely even post my cars on my personal Instagram. Like, I have a car Instagram. Obviously, it's there to yeah, show the yeah, cars yeah. and stuff for people who are car enthusiasts. Take us back to the $60,000 uh, Lambo yeah. guy. Now, um, he ended up at one point um, keeping it and not wanting to give it back because everyone thought it was his. And so I had to file police reports. It was like a whole thing. So, yeah. so it's not all gravy, yeah. right? Like there's a, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I worked out how many miles he put on it, and I definitely, it was definitely worth it. But I think I got a Lambo, a Ferrari, Maybach and Bentley, all of them within like a month. And then um, a Vanderhall. And uh, what else did I get? Then after that, I remember I got a Porsche SUV. Um, I can't even remember all of them. I ended up having two or three Bentleys. Oh, a Bentley SUV, um, a G-Wagon. Uh, oh, gosh. How many did I name? Oh, Slingshot. Uh-huh. Slingshot. Yeah, a lot, a lot of cars. Uh, but I remember I was trying to go carless i was like i want to go one year with no car because tim ferris who's he wrote the book that really inspired me he he went he's i think he's like on his seventh or eighth year without a car something like that dan fleshman friend of mine great guy um he hasn't had a car forever uber blacks everywhere gets more work done productivity you know i was like yeah i want to be like these guys these are guys i look up to i'm going without a car and then my buddy jay who knew you because he's in the hair game too uh, he does videos and podcasts too. Yeah. He, um, he's like, are you forgetting that these people don't have three dogs and three kids and like do the shit you do where you have to take equipment and skateboards and all your crazy lifestyle? And I was like, holy crap. I didn't think about that. And so I was like, okay. So I went from no cars to 10 exotic cars. And that, and, uh, that, that's, that's kind of how my, my brain works. So take yeah. me to the, the island, too, because when we were talking about this, again, that's not a normal conversation. So you followed the conversation, like you said, you know, you're right now you're working on buying an island. And then you followed that up with, I'd like to get a castle, too. Mm-hmm. And then you said, just in passing over the top of a text message before we were recording, uh, I'd like to buy a waterfall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> again, these yeah. are not normal, especially coming from the place where you came from. Is it do you, is it just being built glory to uh, like faith faith glory to glory like little bit by little bit like every time that you keep a promise then you're saying well maybe I could try yeah something and don't else. get me wrong I have lots of goals that I haven't hit and there's lots of things that I've Got tried it. and failed so it's not like full of success so you fail your way to success right yeah and every now and then you get like the challenges of buying ten cars in a year were crazy so what were some of my them? my first so. There's a difference between credit and car credit. And my credit wasn't even great. I had like six something credit at the time. Six something credit and you go buy 10 cars in one. Yeah. And so I went and they were like, 
no, 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 no. So I kept getting my credit up. I was like, what about if I get my credit to 700? And all the people who finance these types of cars were like, absolutely not. I said, okay, then I'm bringing in a co-signer. My co-signer's got a 750 credit. Are we good? No. But they have three mortgages that they've paid on time for 10 years. No. They don't care about any of that. All they care is what's the largest car payment, car loan that you've had, and have you made that payment for about six, eight months? That's all they care about. I could have a six-something credit score, but if I've made a $3,000 car payment for two years, they trust me to make that payment. Versus I could have an 800 credit score, but my largest car payment's only 500 bucks. Nobody's giving me a $3,000 payment. And so I had to move stuff around. I had to put way bigger down payments than I wanted to. The goal was to be like zero down. Um, I was able to do that with the Vanderhall and a couple the, of them. What about the risk for you in it? Because, you know, again, I, I think I love the fact. It was that high risk, I and I'm paying some of those risks. What? And I've went through the ringer. The insurance, I had a car totaled. Uh, uh -huh. The Lamborghini got totaled. The Ferrari got stolen. The Maybach would have been totaled if the Maybach wasn't such an expensive car. Any other car would have been totaled, but the value's so high that they're like, no, we can fix this for 40, 50 grand, and the car's worth six figures. Um, and then it's in the shop for four months, and you're not making money while it's in the shop. You're not using it for anything. You're not. Because people know, don't talk about that part. They'll talk, yeah, you yeah. hear the snippet of, I'm going to buy a car, have everyone else pay the payment, and then I'm rolling. Yeah. That's what I love about you is because you actually tell the real story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the cars is by far, like, the cool thing about the cars is it's expanded my brain. So I'm not scared of a $3,000 car payment because I've had $10,000 a month in car payments. Uh -huh. And so before it was just like I couldn't get over that. I'm not scared of it anymore. It. Number two, because no matter how much money you make, I, I got people to make way more money than me. And they still, ah, $3,000 for a car. It's just you're ingrained that where, like, a car payment should be a few hundred bucks, right? Um but also, it's like the series of goals that you hit. I've owned every car now. I've owned every dream car that I've ever wanted. And so, A, it's out of my system. B, I've, I've broken any barriers to think that you can't do it. Yeah. And I could go back to having no cars and I could Uber everywhere and I'd be perfectly fine or just having one A to B car. Perfectly fine with it. I think Jim Carrey said it best when he said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could realize that's not the answer. And the cars gives you that, you know, <laughs> cars gives you that like notoriety to where it's like, okay, cool. I got that, you know, now don't get me wrong. Will I probably have some type of an exotic luxury car because they're fun to drive? Mm -hmm. Like for most of my life, maybe the rest of my, it's very, very possible. But I could also, I tell people when I bought my Lamborghini, it was super exciting and it was fun and it was fun to drive around. But I also went to Holland Bike Store in Coronado and customized a bicycle for like 600 bucks with all the bells and whistles. And I'm driving that around with my cup holder and my phone holder <laughs> and my little bell and the lights all around. It lights uh -huh. up at night. And it was just as joyous. Yeah. Plus, I'm outside getting fresh air. You know, it was like the same thing as with I had the, the top down on the Ferrari. It was like, this is nice. And the bike, this is nice. One six hundred and one six figures. You know, so... You can still get that feeling uh -huh. regardless. Um, but, yeah, what was the question? Well, no, it's good. <laughs> so, so take me to, to the uh, – you talked about association, and I think that this, this was a, uh, something that I, I loved. I was talking with a friend the other day, James Dixon, a friend of both of ours. Oh, friends. yeah. So, and Love James. He upgraded to first class. At, uh, you know, Greg had said something, and he upgraded yeah. to first class to fly. And when he did, he just found himself sitting next to different people having different conversations. Association, right? So when you went into the epic fighting side, your association, it was funny because, you know, 
Greg is a little bit of a UFC fan, not as much. Like I've been since '93, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm in. Like we're me, mm-hmm. my brother was Vanderlei's um, uh, agent for years, mm-hmm. and so when you said, "Hey, at Secret Knock last time, hey, I'm gonna bring Dan and Frank," I know who you're talking about. Like just from the first name, Dan right? Hindo, yeah. yeah. And so that talk about that association because literally, like the the guys who everyone else sees as a leader and touchable. These are your friends, but you don't try and leverage them as, oh, my gosh, I have Hendo and I have uh, Frank Shamrock coming. They're just your friends. They're, they're your friends. Yeah. How important is the association and how important is it to honor those relationships? Well, I mean, you realize quickly as you've met so many people through Greg and Secret Knock and other places that, I mean, everyone's just human. Everyone has their insecurities, their their strengths, their weaknesses and everything. And so – um, you know, having something cool and having a little bit of notoriety, you know, kind of helps. Uh, and and owning Epic Fighting definitely opened the doors to a lot of these people, I'm sure, that I probably wouldn't have been as close with. Um, but some of them I knew before I started Epic Fighting, just from the gym. We live in San Diego. We're lucky that some of the best fighters in the world, if you're training at the gyms, you, you kind of meet some of these fighters. But, um, but yeah, you know, you, you just try to you remember that like I was starstruck by Chris Lieben, who's now just a tight friend of mine and, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. And when I first met him, I was like, that's, that's the guy. That's the dude that knocked out Vanderlei when everyone was scared to death of him. That's the dude oh, yeah. who, you know, I mean, the hands like bombs, like dynamite. In his yeah. Hands. And then like, we just became friends. And next thing you know, we're like, we're going to dinner together with our families and stuff. And people are walking up to him and asking for autographs and showing them tattoos of him <laughs> with his tattoos <laughs> on him on the tattoo that they have of him it was just like (laughs) insane right and so um and sometimes i have to remind myself like what's like frank shamrock oh my god frank shamrock was a legend amongst legends you know what i mean i mean og like like i brought him to the epic mastermind experience and none of them knew each other so it was frank trig frank shamrock yeah and Chris Lieben, and I turned into this MMA panel on my Epic Mastermind Experience yeah. event, which is like an Elevate Everything event. So we've got people who are great at all different things, diet, food, relationships, money, whatever, business, real estate. And I asked the question, who got, like, how did you get into real estate? Like, what what inspired, or I mean, not real estate. How did you get into MMA? Who inspired you to get into MMA? And uh, Frank Trigg was like, this guy. And he pointed to Frank Shamrock. I was like, no shit. And then he talks about it. Then I asked uh, Chris Lieben, and he was like, same. Like, wait, what? He's like, he's the only reason I got into MMA. I saw videos of him beating people that were supposed to beat him, beating people that everyone was scared of, tapping out, you know, Olympic wrestlers. And I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. And it changed the whole path of my life. And both of them said that. They'd never met Frank before, so he's hearing it for the first time. Yeah. And I was just like, that's insane. And that's kind of how I felt about him, too. Like, he was just like this guy, this legend. He's yeah. 19-year-old tapping out these people that were were the most feared. And so, yeah, the, the relationships are awesome. And, you know, you just always think with, with any friendship, I always try to think of, like, how can I add value to this person? And a lot of times you can't. I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've asked Dan Fleshman, what can I do for you? He's like... <laughs> I'll let you know when I think of it. Here we are like six years later. He's like, when I need you, you'll know. Like, I'll let you know. But there's nothing. There's literally, 
He's got so many resources, so many connections. There's nothing I could do that, that we have thought of yet that really adds value to him. But I'm trying. You know what I mean? And so that's really that's, – that's something I remember when I first met Greg because Greg came and spoke at my vision board thing, and that's where we first met. And he's like, you know, how can I be of service to you? How can I help you? What do you – and I think he changed the words uh, because of that. Yeah, how can yeah, it be yeah. a contribution? But back then it was how can it be of service? And um, I was just like, wow, I don't really know, but thanks for asking. It's crazy that this guy wants to help me. I feel like I should be indebted to him because he's written 50 books at the time. Now it's yeah. like 200 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so you see that often in successful people is they're always thinking of how they can add value to you versus I have a lot of friends that are always broke and they're always looking at what's in it for them. Mm. And it's like, if you could just... How, how do you sh- switch out of that? Because you'll, you'll hear it like, you know, the wealthiest people have the most time, right? Yeah. So they're the most available. They're the most generous. The, a lot of I remember hearing that when I was young before things started to happen and great things started to happen and not all great things. I mean, there's been drop offs and failures and all those things. But I was like, yeah, man, but you don't understand my circumstance. Like I, I'm trying to survive right now. I'm trying to make it to the next payday or even halfway there. Mm-hmm. And you're saying to be generous. Like where does a person start in that? Give someone a compliment. That's that's really how I view it. I, I I like your shirt. I like your hair. Like you're really pretty. Or oh, that's a cute dog. Yeah, you know, some something as easy as that, and you start to feel that energy back. Oh, thank you. You know, be when you're in a conversation or a networking group. It's you know, ask people about them. What could I do to serve you? What's a good a question I like to ask is what's a good referral for you? What what's a good referral for your business? Break down what that person looks like. So if I'm having a conversation with them, I know to connect you guys. Oh, I do media marketing. I got a blank. You know, what's your ideal client? Oh, I work with attorneys who are already making six figures or multiple six figures that are trying to make seven figures or multiple seven figures. And I add value to them through uh, video marketing through social media. Okay, now I got an idea (laughs) of who I can put you with, you know? Um, and so you help, sometimes I help people define that last night, a friend came to to the movies with me to watch the Bob Marley movie. movie. Yeah. And I went outside with him and I showed him how to set up a subscription on PayPal. And and he was like, here, it's 50, you know, he was trying to do, he's like, here's the one I did. I was like, okay, here's how you copy the link. Now this link put on a QR code. Every time you have a stand set up, you're not trying to sell your, your six pack of juices. You're trying to sell this subscription. And then I clicked it and I paid for it. It's $54. To him, it was the world. I'm the first person to subscribe. Man, like, it's $54. You've been giving me these juices for free for months just so I could, like, give you a shout-out on Instagram, whatever. We're at the point now where you've given me enough. I feel like I could pay you a little bit. And I'm like, just that information and switching that mindset – you should make six figures within the next 18 months. You should have a six-figure year set up. <clears throat> and I was like, and while you're at these farmer's markets and events trying to sell individuals on $54 a month, I was like, you got to have a family plan because you're thinking for the individual. When you give me a six-pack of juices, I'm lucky to get two. Lucky. because My oldest daughter comes over, drinks one, takes one or two to go, <laughs> right? 
JJ takes one to school this day and one to school the next day. Lily wants one to school this day, one to school the next day. Sometimes she wants one at school, you know, to take to school and one when she gets home from school. No, man. I, I need to be buying these by the dozens. So you need a, a family pack. He's like, a family pack, you know? And I'm just, you know, telling him how my brain works because I just yeah. have more years of experience in business and I've just failed at more things than him. And so instead of going the long route and discovering this seven years into epic fighting, I decide do a subscription <laughs> base, make him commit for a year and pay monthly. And I went from zero profit in seven years to instant profitability. Now you're learning it at the beginning of your business. And I said, and then you need to have a corporate package. People need to be paying $1,000 a month. And your biggest one that if someone's on your website and scrolls down should be $50,000 a month. That's when you get the Qualcomm or the really big business and you say, we're going to decrease your sick days from your employees. We're going to increase productivity. We're going to um, decrease the chance of them getting cancer, heart disease, and other health-related diseases, which is going to you know, really mess up productivity. And everyone on your team is going to get a six pack of juices every, every week, everyone in your company. And that's the, like, oh, when I think of like that, that's just as easy of a sell as convincing the person to spend, you know, $54 a month. You just got to get in front of the right person. And that actually adds more value to, because it's not only adding value to the individuals, it's adding value to the, this whole multi-billion dollar corporation. And so these little, little shifts that you can, you know, give to people and, and add value for them. And now do you think he might come to Epic fighting and, and cut up a little video for free and share it on his page and like little things like that? Like he's really grateful to me. Right. Yeah. And so that's all I would do with real estate too. I would call people, what's your business? Let me put it on the thing that I send out. Okay. You got a flower business. Uh, let me put that on my list. Okay. You're going to be one of three carpet cleaners that I promote. I'm going to send this list out to all my you know, 1,000 people, 2,000 people that I stay in touch with. And they're like, oh, wow, thank you so much. And, you know, a lot of times they think of me when it's time to buy an investment property, sell their mom's house, whatever it is. How do you, as you grow, and you've grown, I mean, incredibly, but you stay so humble. Like, you, you're, you're super touchable um, at events when I've got a chance to be able to connect with you. How do you not get caught up in the things that you could? Humble is interesting. I get called humble a lot, um, and I'm, I'm. I guess it would be I'm humility, very, right? So, yeah. And I'm not saying that you well, shun it and say well, I'm not I think, good at this. Thing. I think I, I have a funny quote. Um, every now and then, I'll post it on social media. Or I'll tell someone, I'm like. I'm the, I'm the best in the world at being humble. I'm killing the humble game. When it comes to being humble, nobody <laughs> comes close. And it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? Um, but I say that as a joke because it's like, who do you think you are that you even get to be humble? Like, how much of a big shot do you think you are to where you're like, oh, I'm just here with regular people? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, what have I done? You get, you get humbled really quick when you increase your social circle. If you're, if you're only hanging around with people who've never accomplished anything, first of all, it's hard to be that successful because you're the sum of the people you hang around with. But if you get successful and decide to hang out with people who aren't doing anything, maybe you start to get a big head. But you've got a good mix of a third of the people you hang out with are trying to get to your level. A third of the people are on your level, you know, uh, on, on average, meaning uh -huh. like you might be better at this, but they're better at this. 
and then a third of the people are are killing it. They're like where you want to be. It's what do I have to be humble about? Like I got a my I got a friend who owns the waterfall property already. I'm trying to get the waterfall <laughs> property. You know what I mean? Like I have no. And then when I get the waterfall property, I'm gonna have the friend that own. You know, my friend. The reason why I want to buy a waterfall. Uh, originally it was Regan Helier and she's posted this thing on her. Uh, she, she speaks at my events. We've been friends for a long time and she posted her basically like bathing in this beautiful waterfall. I was like, Oh my God, I want to go there. Where is that? She's like, that's my yard. And this is like, you know, me and my husband bought 600 acres here in Costa Rica and that's the waterfall. And I'm like, okay, I'm playing too small, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then my friend Chris Lee, I helped him buy his, his house when he came to San Diego, and he was a nobody. He had no social media. Now he's, like, famous. He's on everybody's stage. He's everywhere. And he bought one on the Big Island. And he has this beautiful, like, super high waterfall, and that's his backyard. And so it's like, okay, I want a lot of land, 600 acres-ish, mm-hmm. with a waterfall. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it yet, but I'm not going to buy it unless I can monetize it. So I'm not buying these things. I'm buying these things because I want to have them, but I'm not like, all right, I'm just going to be so rich. I'm going to throw money at it. And then we're going to visit twice a year to sit under a waterfall and that's it. No, I'm going to have something on there to where it makes sense. The Island I'm buying makes $350,000 a year. Last year's expenses was 50,000, but they don't pay themselves that much. So let's call it a hundred thousand at the very, very top for Painting, transportation, gas, supplies, everything. Belize's cost of living is low, like less than Mexico low. And so you got 100000 worst case scenario, and it's making $350,000 a year. That's $250,000 profit. And if I get to go there with you and the Barclays and my friend Jen Wells, and we get to all stay there, you know, maybe 8 or 10 or 12 of us, and spend a few days there a year just hanging out, even better because it's your island. You own it. Let's go <laughs> snorkel. Let's go, you know, let's, it, it's, it's amazing. But it also generates money. The, the waterfall property that they have, they do retreats on and they do like all these people that are in their network that yeah. subscribe to their coaching and their newsletters so that they have the opportunity to come there. I was, I remember I was at my Fallbrook property, yeah, which I've since sold. It was on three acres and it was going to be self-sustainable. And I built a plate, a cage for llamas, like a little area and peacocks and the whole thing. And I was like, I want so many trees here. And then Regan was like, there's an event where if you pay money, you get to come plant trees. And I was like, instead of me thinking of who am I going to pay to plant these trees, I have an event, you know, you switch the paradigm. <laughs> this is an event where you're going to meet successful people. They could afford to pay money, take time off. They're living in probably a lifestyle that you want to come to Costa Rica and they're, they care about the earth. These are like-minded people. And it's just, they planted like 10,000 trees over like a, however long it was, like a few days. And I was like, that's genius. And I wanted to go. I couldn't, you know, the kids had school or whatever, so yeah. I didn't make that trip. But I too would have paid to gone to that, you know? And so, you know, the island, the waterfall, the castle. If me and my family can stay in a castle and get to say we own a castle, that's great. We're probably only going to go there like twice a year. But the rest of the time, it'll be on Airbnb, positive cash flow. And in a lot of these other countries, like a lot of these certain areas, like castles were just the houses back in the day. You know what I mean? Like your whole family lived in a castle if you had a little bit of money. And now you're just sitting there and you can buy them for the price of how the island in Belize, the whole island 
I'm buying it for the price that I just sold sold my Fallbrook property. You know, there's castles that you can buy for the exact same price. There's waterfall properties with five, 600 acres that you could buy for the same price. So it sounds like super crazy, but if you live in a 3-2 in Kensington or in Carlsbad, you're just as rich as these people buying these things. You're just putting your money different places, you know? So my my mindset is always like, if I buy this, how can I generate income on it? And some people have even taken it a step further to where they buy the nicest designer clothes and then they rent the clothes out to people. Because what do, what do influencers do when they buy the Chanel outfit? They wear it once and then they can't post it anymore because I already made all my posts with that outfit. Mm-hmm. And then it just sits in the closet. Versus if you if someone comes to San Diego from Florida and they're your same size and you like they have websites where you could actually list it out. Yeah. So that's like the the uh, another level of it, but just to show you how your brain starts to work as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur too, my my wife hit me with this one time. She said that uh, seldom an entrepreneur will die of starvation uh, from not enough deals, but a lot of them will get indigestion from trying to take on too much. Right. Mm-hmm. So my wife is why she's right downstairs. She thinks you're cute too, but so I won't ever have you hang out. Um, but, um, like literally like, I know you, if you started something, it's going to be successful. It doesn't matter. Like if it, and when I say it, it does not going to just be, you touch it and it's gold. No, right. if you put your mind on it, your focus on it, your work, you're going to fail a lot, but you're going to work it out. Yeah. How do you know for you as Jason, how do you know like how to go at something because it's not if the deal will work. It's if you actually want to do it now. Yeah. I get offered stuff all the time. The cars was fun. So I knew that if the cars made no money, (laughs) that's cool. I'll lose a lot of money. I got to drive every car I ever wanted and that's out of my system. So that's, will you continue on with the cars? Um, we'll see, you know, um, probably, okay, probably in some form. Um, the same thing with the Epic fighting. No profit for seven years, but it was so fun. It was so cool. It was so fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and so that's the biggest thing. How quickly can I delegate it? How can I add value to it in the first place? Okay. How quickly can I delegate it to where I don't have to put too much of my time in it? Okay. And the time that I spend on it, how much am I going to enjoy it? Because I could flip one house and make fifty or $150,000 and be on vacation with my kids. So if I'm stuck to like spending hours per week on this project, how excited am I about this project? It better be a castle. It better be an island. <laughs> it better be a waterfall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lamborghinis, you know, Ferraris, McLarens, Maybachs, Bentleys. Those are fun too. Those are exciting. Um, how, do, how do you transfer it to the next generation? You were talking about your kids. I've got a chance to meet your kids. Your kids are amazing. How do you transfer it? Because like you look at the recipe of Jason that is – you know, moves around a lot, has to adapt, has to do all these things, doesn't have much, doesn't have the things that other people have, and it creates this desire. How do we then take that to our next generation and keep our generation as opposed to just consuming what we've planted where we're teaching them to plant? Well, I remind my kids all the time, I'm not leaving them jack. And so (laughs) as soon as they start to think, well, when dad passes, I inherit X amount of properties, money, whatever, um, I see a lot of people kind of lose motivation. Um, and so I tell, I remind that to them 
frequently because I want them to know that you need to learn as much as you can from me while you can. And so, um, you know, my oldest daughter, she's pretty good at making money. She's pretty good at hustling. Um, and so there's a lot more that they can learn. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Lily, when she was younger, she was quite the hustler. She would make good money. We started a business. Now she's in this phase where she's kind of too cool and you know, whatever. Uh, but my young, my son is very entrepreneurial. He has all of the, it's, it's one of those things to where he's such an intense entrepreneur. He can't stay at school. He kicked two staff members. I got the message on the way here. He just can't sit down. So like, they're basically at the point now where I have to charter school or homeschool him. Um, but like if he sets up a stand, he'll make a couple hundred bucks like that. You know what I mean? Can sell lemonade, sell comics. He'll go buy prime energy drinks in bulk and then sell them for three times as much uh, to people jogging down the boardwalk who are thirsty, you know, whatever. And so he has the sell skills, the uh, the enthusiasm. He understands the basic. I remember one time uh, he set up his lemonade stand and he hired a sister, and his sister was like, "Well, you need to pay me this much money." He's like, no, that's not what we agreed on. He's like, well, we didn't talk about it, but it's only fair because I did have to work. And he's like, okay, that's how you feel? Here, you're fired. <laughs> he's like, I got a kid down the block that I could pay him 10 bucks <laughs> that will do everything you just did. <laughs> he was just so calm about it. There you go, you're fired. And then he hires other people to help make sales and stuff for him. And then he'll do a trick like, oh, if you buy a lemonade, I'll do a handstand or some type of trick. And then they give him tips and stuff like that so he really has it i'm just trying to get him on the right path of learning you know you know taking that energy (laughs) and keeping it in a positive place because it has been quite the struggle but yeah the the biggest thing i can give the future generation uh which is my children and soon to be grandchildren is um teaching them the skills and giving them you know having them build their confidence up to the point where they know they can do it too What's the difference between a hustling and being a hustler? I mean, a hustler hustles, I guess, right? Uh, I, I think that the, the, the hustler mentality, and I get called a hustler all the time, and I don't know, like... I don't see in, you. In, I see you that my, you have hustle. Yeah. I don't see you as a hustler. In my 20s, I felt like I was a hustler because I was grinding. I was like, if I work hard enough, if I focus hard enough... I can make this happen. And I would at a cost. Mm. Less sleep. Less, I, I, so talk about extremists. I had an office. I had two girls working for me. The mother of my children was one for a long time. And I was in an, a cave with no windows. And I loved it. Like this is just part of the office that they just made this into a little office. And I was like, cool, no distractions. And it's like head down. And that's how I am. Like head down, I'm going to get it done. And they were just like, this is like a dungeon. <laughs> like, this is, this is. And so uh, we ended up, mo- whenever we moved buildings, uh, we switched companies and we had like all these windows. I was like, you guys happy now? Like, I didn't care about the windows. But the point I'm making is I went a lot of years, like 10, 15 years to where I would work, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, not leave the office even for lunch most of the time. Just bring, have a drawer full of snacks, not leave, work all the way through. Sometimes leave for lunch, sometimes not. Sometimes not see the sun 
Like I'd get to the office when the sun was like just coming up, wasn't strong enough to really hit you yet. And then I'd leave when it was dark. Artificial air, artificial light, 10 hours straight, 10 years. No vacations for like 10 years, right? Um, And now I'm like, I'm going to be outside every moment I can. If there's only an hour of sun that day, I'm getting it. Probably going to take my shirt off and absorb as much of it as I can. And I am getting fresh air. And I can't remember that. Like, I've only went to the office in the last five years to pick up checks. And, you know, that's it. And every now and then I'll pick up a check and they're having a meeting and they're like, that's him. He's a real person. Wow. Because <laughs> a lot of times I'll end up on the, you know, producer's board or something yeah. like that. Everyone's like, who is this guy? I literally have, I have no desire to go to any uh, real estate mixers or anything like that. Like, I'm on my skateboard. I'm having fun, you know? Do you have to do one to get the other? Because I hear the a lot of uh, a lot of people will talk about it and be like, "Hey, I hustled when I was younger," and but I would teach a different way. And I, then well, I this ask, brings me this brings yeah. me to my point. Yeah. Now I attract. I used to force, Ooh. and now I attract. And so attracting feels like, all right, the thing I want is on this vibration. I need to get to that vibration. And you could tell when your energy is off. You could tell when your vibration is off. And you could tell when it's not, you know, you're not riding that energy wave towards the goals. And so then how do you get back on? Okay, maybe I need 10 minutes of silence. So, like, I'll, I'll give you my day today. And my, my morning got pretty jacked up because my son was in a, in a bit of a mood. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm at the point where I have to be super disciplinarian with him. Like, you know, and <clears throat> obviously he's already kicking teachers and stuff. So I knew it was going to be one of those days, right? But he comes and he just bangs on my door all hard. I'm like, is there a fire? Why are you banging on my door like that? So I see already he's in a very intense mood. And, um, okay, get ready. You know, get your stuff together. And I, uh, you know, I drink. First thing I do is I drink a quart of water. I didn't get my hot water today, but I like to do a hot water with lemons. But we're missing the little key limes. We do limes or lemons. Um, Sometimes put a little Himalayan salt on it. And so then I start brushing my teeth and changing clothes and everything. And then I put on a YouTube video and I'm listening to that video and I'm absorbing it. So I'll, I'll do a, a head headway app. I'll listen to a book, at least one book. Sometimes I'll do three or four in a day, but they're like 15 minute digestions of a book. Now listen to some type of YouTube video uh, right now. I'm really big on Myron golden. Are you familiar yeah. with Myron? Yeah. He's like the Christian based guy. He talks a lot of, about business and stuff like that. Just dropping gems. He's on an interview, dropping gems. And I lay in my massage chair, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do 15 minutes listening to the gyms, and I'm going to, you know, get into a, a better state, and then I'm going to do the breath work. So I said, JJ, come in here. He's like, aren't we going to go work out? Because we work out every morning. And I was like, workout's going to get short, cut short today because I can tell you need to breathe. Get on the couch. And we do a Wim Hof, you know, 10 minutes breathing, and I'm in the massage chair getting in the massage. We're doing the, the, all the breath work. And that starts to get me a little more, the, the video gets me motivated. This gets me to clear my head. Ideas start coming into my head. It start, the fog starts clearing. And then we're like, all right, let's run to the gym. We hit our workout, and then we ran to school. And then after running to school, it's a little over a mile, I ran back and jumped into a yoga class. So I did the eight, 8.30 yoga class, did that for an hour. And then I went, you know, 
start making calls. As I'm getting ready to come on this podcast, I'm in the shower. I'm on the phone call with a guy who wants to do some click funnels for me. Uh He wants to help me with my websites. And so we're creating a whole thing together and I'm going to pay him off of commission, which is my, my favorite way to do things when everybody says they can add value. Cool. If you're going to create that much income for me, you'll get a cut of everything you create. And I could be very generous with the cut because I'd rather give you a lot of money when it does work than be pissed off that I gave you a little bit of money and you, nothing worked. You know what I mean? Because I don't mind being generous, but they say that the, the biggest fear for rich people is getting ripped off. Even if it's for, even it's for 50 bucks. It's the principle. Like, they hate getting ripped off. So I'm trying to be like them, and I'm trying to be, you know, because I, I, I have that too. As I, as I get more, I was like, you know, ugh. We're like... So you try to prevent that at all costs. And so that's the way I like to structure a lot of a lot of things. You can't structure everything like that. Yeah, yeah. And so and then on my way here, I'm listening to I listened to a full book and then I started a YouTube video, which I'm gonna listen to on the way down. So some life hacks in there. But uh, the life hacks are turn your car into a university. When you're taking a shower, turn that into a university. But also all of this gets me on that vibration. And so, like, I get just so excited when I was explaining to you, like, uh, Regan and and um, her husband with the waterfall property and them having people come plant trees and me remembering her in the waterfall. I just, like, I get so excited. Like, I start getting goosebumps, right? <laughs> then I start thinking, like, if we were to go to the island and hang out, kayak around, they have amazing snorkeling. The water is so clear there. It's surrounded by reef, you know, so there's just the reef is like the most concentrated wildlife that you could just see everything with the pair of goggles. It's so excited of spending four days on that Island. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think about the castle, like if we were in a, ca- like all of these things get me super pumped up and that's part of it. You start visioning it. It starts getting closer and closer to you and you start thinking of ways to make it happen. Yeah. Same thing with the cars. Like I've, I, I made it happen. I, I physically, made these cars go from here to and i live in an apartment by the way i I haven't like right now i'm starting to get that urge you know i i own a a, this crazy house in um fallbrook on three acres with Uh eucalyptus farm and everything never spent one night there i have one that i'm in escrow with right now in dictionary hill with two giant patios beautiful four bedroom big old house we're talking about doing like a little slumber party or the kids stay in the night, maybe inviting some friends, but I've never spent the night there. I live in a little apartment by the water, you know, two bedroom. I love it. You know, it's perfectly fine. Now I, I, I am like, we have a nice pool. We have a nice fitness. It has everything that I need. And so it just goes to show you like, could I trade the cars to live in a mansion? hundred <laughs> percent. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like I'm buying these things so we could go have an amazing experience there, but also it's an income generator, right? I live my dream life every day. My, I'm living my dream. doesn't mean I don't have bigger goals. It doesn't mean I, I don't have fitness goals that I want to hit. But I'm very grateful that I've created the body and athleticism that I've created. Now, there's levels. I'm, there's, I'm still, I'm, you know, if you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. There's always progressions. I'm very grateful that I've created the amount of passive income that I, that I have created. I'm very grateful that I'm able to go on these vacations where I want to go. And, and to be quite frank, there's way more expensive vacations. We like to go to tropical places, which the, the cost of the dollar is more leveraged there. Yeah. And, like, we could go to Europe and stuff like that and spend way more money. But, like, man, Belize and Costa Rica and, you know, we went to Australia and Japan and did all that stuff. But, like... All of it is fun. 
all of it is amazing. All of it creates memory. So yeah, if we went to like some really expensive places and dropped 50,000 versus 3000, the experience isn't necessarily going to be better because we typically want to be in the warm ocean waters anyway. Right. Uh, but I'm living my dream life every day. I mean, I live in Coronado, which is like a fantasy land. It's like its own little world. Right. Uh, I ride skateboards, bikes, free skates, carver boards, work out at the playground. Uh, we can go in the ocean whenever we want. Uh, it's a bridge right across to San Diego where you can have all the cool restaurants and downtown life. And the kids can run around and play. There's no transients or homeless people or people on drugs around. Like the, There's more cops than there needs to be, but it keeps it safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like... I'm living my dream life. And so I have to remind myself to be grateful for that of every day, but I also have to remind myself that there's other frequencies that I could tap into to get the next level of fitness, to get this goal and that goal. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you're pursuing. Your pursuit might be, you want to knock out another painting, which might not bring you any money or anything, but it's the progressions. You're not growing, you're dying. So I started the podcast because my two kids, right, Maddox and McKenna. Maddox is 12 years old. McKenna's 15 years old. I wanted to take what I refer to or what I see as iconic people and help my kids not to worship idols but just be inspired by the iconic people that I bring around and to humanize those, what they would see as, oh, my gosh, this huge thing is just a person. Yeah. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you use both their names, it would be awesome. <laughs> Maddox and McKenna, my advice to you would be to try as many things as you can while you're young because you can't be passionate about something that you don't know about. And so as you're growing and developing and even into adulthood, go see the rodeo, go see the ballet, try painting, try sculpting, try everything that you can. And when you find something that really lights your soul on fire, you'll naturally pay more attention to that. And then you'll be able to figure out that if that's something that you could see yourself doing for a long time and it's going to bring you joy, then you can create a business. Luckily, in this day and age, in your generation, you can create a million-dollar business around absolutely anything. So all you have to do is figure out what it is that you want to spend your time doing. Jason, it's been amazing for me because the closer and closer I've been able to, and I'm very fortunate because I get to be your friend, and I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm very fortunate to be your but friend. It's, it's amazing because the closer and closer that I've got to you, it's like the more and more that I want to be around. And, you know, today, being able to spend this time, man, I mean, this has been, I, I'm taking it in. I can't wait for you to listen back to it. I can't wait for your friends to be able to listen to it because, I mean, the things that you drop normally, like that you say normally, or gem, that you talk about the gems that you're taking in, mm -hmm. you're dropping them the whole time. And Thanks. we all get to be able to experience it. And I think there's a lot of times where a person will come up with a brand and be like, this is my brand. When I put the, the title of the show, Living Epic, like I don't think there's any other person that I've ever seen that lives a brand the way that you do, it just happens to have that name. Yeah. And it's just, it's uh, my hat's off to you in that. Man. And that's really, whenever I think of like 
what's the next thing to pursue and sometimes i just put stuff so i have uh, something to chase but the the main thing that i try to think of is how does it get better than this what could i do to make life more epic and so i just i'll think of something and then i'll start following those people that are just doing crazy stuff or epic stuff or <laughs> adrenaline stuff or you know and i'm just like okay let's add that to the list you know and so um yeah there's going to be a lot more epic stuff to come and it's and i'm like i said six years ago i was just in an office all the time you know what i mean yeah. i was just like not living as epic of a life. i mean I, I created epic fighting which was epic but uh me personally i wasn't doing as much epic stuff as i am now so uh, if every day you could wake up and think how does it get better than this how can i make my life more epic than it is What's your definition of an epic life? That's another thing that is great to end on. Everybody wants to be successful. You ask 10 people if they want to be successful, usually 10 of them are going to say yes. If you ask them what the definition of success is to them, you're lucky if one of them has the answer. And so like in Alice in Wonderland, asking which way should I go? And they respond, where are you trying to get to? She says, I don't care really where I get to. And it's like, then it doesn't really matter which way you go. And so, so many people are living their life by default instead of design. And if you could just put a little thought into what would make your life better for you, your family, your overall well-being, and then you have a destination. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, oh. baby. You're officially off the hot seat, Jason. I love it.